You're listening to the Golden Edge Podcast, sponsored by Station Casinos, STN Sports, and presented by the Las Vegas Review-Journal and Blue Wire. Here's your host, Ben Goats. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review-Journal talks about hockey. I am Ben Goats, your Golden Knights Review-Journal beat writer. Joining me once again is my LVRG colleague, Matt Atencio. Matt? How are you doing this uh, this weekend, this fine Saturday that we are recording on? You know, I'm, I'm doing great. We've got a lot of hockey news coming up in the next couple of, of weeks, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting time now. Yeah, it is a, a busy time of year where the uh, NHL action randomly heats up. Uh, in July, we just had the draft this past week. We had the schedule release, and of course, we're going to talk about all of those things as well as look ahead to next week. When things potentially might even get crazier, uh, especially for the Golden Knights, because free agency opens on Wednesday. Before we talk about all this kind of stuff, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by Station Casinos STN Sports. Uh, we are also presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. Uh, I just had a story go up yesterday uh, recapping all the Golden Knights draft picks that we are going to talk about. And of course, you're going to want to stay glued uh, to the website as Freedency News rolls in because we will keep you updated with the latest goings on with the team and around the league. Uh, we are also presented by Blue Wire. And of course, if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. We would very much uh, appreciate it. Uh, so uh, starting off, we'll lead off with the thing that just happened over the last couple of days, which is the draft happened in Montreal, the first in-person draft in the NHL in two years uh it was a very exciting first round with a lot of surprising stuff a lot of trades a lot of things kind of going out of the order uh that was unexpected but what was expected was the knights doing nothing because they traded the 16th overall pick to buffalo in the jack eichel deal so they were not involved uh, in the first round of the draft uh the sabers with that pick took swedish center noah ostlund if you want to remember that name file that away in the back of your memory bank for later. Uh, The Knights did make uh, six picks in the draft, starting at number 48 in the second round with uh, Ontario Hockey League center uh, Matias Epivalov. They also took another center from the Western Hockey League with their second pick. That was in the third round, 79th overall, Jordan Gustafson. Uh, They made four other selections uh, into the mid-rounds, heading into the seventh round. Uh, Now we are not scouts. Uh, We don't even pretend to be them on TV or even on on podcasts. Yeah, I uh, can't imagine until like, you know, the last couple days leading into the draft when I kind of dove into draft prep. uh, I had not heard of Matias Sepavala. I learned quite a bit about him uh, leading into the draft. And then, of course, obviously did more research uh, afterwards. So we're obviously going off the cuff here. The Knights themselves have done far more research into all these guys uh, than we have. Uh, But just looking at the list of the six selections kind of that they did end up making, Uh, Did anything specifically stick out to you or names that uh, you kind of were intrigued by that the Knights are bringing into the organization? Well, I'll talk about Matias Sapovalov here in just a second, but I do want to mention fifth round pick Patrick Gay, 104 points, 55 goals in 68 games in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Again, I don't care what league it's in. That's those. That's a stat line. You don't you take a double look at and it's pretty incredible what he did. But as for their first pick that they made their second overall or their second round pick rather at number 48 Matias Sapovalov was able to watch a little bit of film on him after they picked him and one of the things that kind of really stuck out to me is that while he does have a really good offensive game he's very good defensively too and players like that have a very good chance of making the league at some point because it's not a skill that every player in the league has there are some players that are 
good offensively, horrible defensively, and vice versa. But if you're kind of able to skate that line of being a two-way forward, your chances of making the league and making a team are pretty good. Now, some of the things reading a little bit about him that I've seen that are kind of question marks moving forward, and again, he's young, so all of these things can be corrected with the right kind of coaching, is that he's not the best skater on the planet and that he doesn't have the kind of skating that you want for a National Hockey League forward. Again, he's young. He gets the right coach. Those kind of things can be changed. Yeah, totally. And so talking to kind of the Knights about, uh, you know, Matias after the draft, specifically uh, assistant director of player personnel, Bob Lowe's, he brought up the skating. That was the big concern. That was the big knock on uh, Matias Sapovalov heading into the draft and what would potentially keep him um, from reaching the league and kind of reaching, you know, what his role ultimately will be, which sounds like probably like a bottom six center. I think actually you kind of look at his size and kind of the profile. I think you're thinking of like, okay, this guy could potentially turn into a Nick Waugh. Um, type of player if that skating comes around and that's something that uh you know bob lowe's admitted that needs work matias sabavala himself after the draft was like that is the number one thing i need to improve to make sure i make it to the national hockey league i was interesting talking to bob lowe's his take on the skating uh was partially that uh i think fatigue was a factor in terms of uh this was matias sabavala's first season in north america so he's playing on a different ice sheet compared to uh in europe because he's from the czech republic he was playing a lot uh both in terms of there's more games in kind of canadian juniors compared to you know overseas leagues and he's also playing just more minutes compared to what he would be playing at over there especially when he if he would be playing against older competition uh back in europe so he's playing about 22 minutes a night he was playing on both specialty teams, power play and penalty kill, I think especially if he makes it, penalty killing is going to be a big part of his game. So they thought that his stride kind of broke down at times, mainly because of just kind of the extra burden that he was carrying compared to years uh, prior. And they think, you know, as he kind of grows and adds strength and as he works with kind of the Knights development coaches, that they think a lot of those things uh, can be ironed out and that'll lead him to hopefully having an NHL future in their eyes but like you said if that's kind of the main thing but like i do think like that's the kind of prototype you're looking for of like a nick wah type a bottom six center who can potentially play in all situations for you if things do break right with that stride mm-hmm. yeah i mean we'll we'll see what happens when they move forward with him and then, like i said if he, if he can you said this too if he can figure out his skating he's got a good chance of making it into the league Probably as a top, yeah, probably bottom six, maybe a top nine forward if somebody gets hurt or something like that. But yeah, he should be, he was a good pickup. I really, really did like that pick. Yeah, obviously the Knights are kind of working from a shorter deck here without a first round pick. There's only so much um, that you can get excited about with these guys because they're all young. They're all going to kind of take longer uh, pathways to get ultimately to the National Hockey League. I mean, we're talking their fourth round pick. Uh, Cameron Whitehead, who's a goaltender, that's a guy who's going to go back to junior hockey next season, then going to college, you know, in Northeastern University two years from now. And so we're talking about potentially multiple years in college for him. So it just takes a while for these guys uh, to get to the point where they're ready to play uh, professional hockey. Uh, same with kind of some of their late round picks, uh, Ben Hemmerling in the sixth round, uh, Abram Wiebe in the seventh. But let's quick circle back to the guy that uh, you pointed out, Patrick Gay, because I do think he's an interesting guy to talk about, even though he was a uh, fifth round pick because uh, the numbers uh, as you pointed out are just stupid video game yeah. ridiculous um, obviously the numbers by themselves you'd go like wow he had 55 goals in 68 games and then 13 goals in 15 playoff games he's in a fifth round what a steal uh, now the reasons that uh, he was 
a fifth round pick because these teams are not necessarily completely dumb. Uh, he is 20 years old, so he's older for a draft prospect. Usually you're taking 18 year olds in the NHL draft. So uh, he has developed a little bit more than a lot of these guys. And that's partially why his production is very high. Uh, he's also five, nine. So he's on the smaller side for a prospect. And because you're older, Obviously, your hopes of him potentially growing uh, are not necessarily there anymore. That's actually something that the Knights are excited about with their third-round pick, Jordan mm-hmm. Gustafson, who is listed at 5'10", uh, but they think actually has some more physical development still to go because his brother was also a late uh, grower. His brother gained four inches during his junior hockey career, so they're hoping that Jordan Gustafson could grow, and that would certainly help his projection to be kind of a bottom-of-the-lineup NHL player. Uh, but in terms of, yeah, Patrick Gay... Uh, what's also fascinating is that so he plays for the Charlottetown Islanders, which if you are a big follower of Knights prospects, you know that uh, Lucas Cormier, who is one of their defense uh, prospects, plays for that team. He's just won back-to-back defensemen of the year trophies in the QMJHL. And then they had a, a fourth-round pick named uh, Jakob Rabanic last year, who won the Rookie of the Year award in the Q. Uh, so basically, you know, the Knights kind of QMJHL scout kept going to watch these guys and like kind of check in on their two recent draft picks be like hey how are they developing how are their game's coming along and basically kept being like oh hey this you know, little center out there is pretty good and he's scoring a bunch of goals and it clearly impressed the knights enough to take a chance on him yeah i mean you couldn't have, couldn't have said it better there myself it, it'll be interesting to see where they go with him because again you think of fifth round picks there's not a ton of them that really turn out to be elite level players. And I'm in no way, shape or form saying that right now, it's way too early to start trying to say what kind of prospects are going to be world beater prospects or world beater players in the NHL rather. But yeah, it'll be, it'll be good to see where he goes from here. Yeah. I mean, just pointing out like once you kind of, especially get past uh, the third round and even a little bit in the second and third round, you're just kind of hoping to get guys at that point, um, guys that will make, you know, the NHL uh, first round, picks you're looking for impact nhl players uh second and third round if you can just get nhl players period at that point you're pretty excited about it and then the later rounds you're obviously just kind of hoping that you're making educated bets and that maybe one guy kind of sneaks through um but you know obviously we'll have to see how this class turns out for the golden knights obviously expectations should be lowered at least for this kind of group just because they're without that first round pick so the knights aren't necessarily dealing uh, from a position of strength, they're not like the Montreal Canadiens, Arizona Coyotes, Anaheim Ducks, who seem to have like every pick. Yeah. Uh, this draft, uh, even Seattle had a lot of second round picks. Uh, they only had the one first. Um, so we'll see how it works out uh, for the Golden Knights. Once again, if you want to read a little bit more about all these guys in a little bit more depth and detail, uh, go to ReviewJournal.com. We've got a story up uh, on their draft prospects and in the paper too there was you know kind of scouting reports and breakdowns of all these guys and if you're interested uh nice development camp is going to be this week it's their first one in a couple of years so uh from monday uh through saturday these guys will be competing against each other at city national arena without with some of the other knights prospects uh, they are taking wednesday off for the opening of free agency which we'll dive into uh in a sec here but if you're interested you can check them out uh in person then um, but the other quick thing i want to mention before we get into kind of more of the off-season moving and shaking that's going to happen this week is the schedule is out. Um, so, yeah, get excited. So you can obviously uh, check that out. We have a story up on that, too, if you want to see the full schedule, including the preseason schedule, because that is uh, out 
as well. Um, we're not going to go in depth, you know, discussing going like game by game, making yeah. our eighty-two game uh, predictions or seven. Wait, you don't you don't want to spend four hours sitting here going into each every single each and every single game? It'd be four hours of us being wrong. Yeah, uh, probably. So I well, I would like to avoid that, but I think some highlights that we should point out: they are going back to Salt Lake City this preseason to play the Kings. They of course did that last year. Uh, they're also going to play the Coyotes in Boise. So that's uh. Interesting. Bring yeah, I wonder hockey. where in Boise they're actually playing that game. I believe it's the Idaho Event Center. Okay. Uh, if you know what that is, good on you. I have no. I've never been to Boise. Can't say. Uh, I've heard the blue turf there is amazing, but yeah. that's pretty much all I got about the infrastructure. Yeah, that's about that's about the extent of my knowledge of, of Boise, Boise is that their college football team has blue turf. Exactly. Um, the Knights then are. Uh, starting their regular season October 11th uh, against the Kings, and that's part of actually a doubleheader for the Knights' North American opener. So the Lightning and the Rangers are going to play, and then that night uh, the Knights and Kings are going to play as part of kind of NHL opening night. Broadcast information has not been released yet, but you would have to assume that's going to be on uh, ESPN uh, or Turner. Uh, the only reason it isn't like the NHL's official opening opening night is because they actually have a couple games that are being played in Europe, uh, like you know four or five days ahead of that. So uh, the Knights are still kind of kicking off a big part of the NHL uh, schedule. Uh, and also, they have three fewer back-to-backs uh, this year compared to last year. They have seven this upcoming season. They had ten back-to-backs uh, last year, which is at least you know interesting, something I found uh, notable. The Knights are actually been pretty good historically in back-to-backs, but it's still a little bit easier uh, on their bodies with the uh, wear and tear. Uh so like I said, we're not going to go uh, pick by or game by game and start making picks and scheduling W's and L's uh, at this point in July when there's still a lot of roster uh, moves that need to be made. Uh, but you know, looking at the schedule for you, was there anything that kind of stood out? Yeah, I mean, in the first in the first month of the season, they've got a pretty tough four game stretch. Game four through four, five, six, and seven, they're playing in Calgary, and they have to play at home against Winnipeg, Colorado, and Toronto. And I mean, Winnipeg's a team that's always played them tough ever since they lost to Vegas in the conference finals. And then you're going up against two teams that are going to be they're going to enter the season as Stanley Cup contenders and probably favorites to win it. So it'll be a good test to see where this team's at. It could also very easily go south and go bad there, but that's why they play the games. No, yeah, totally. I think that's a really good point. Uh, by you about this opening that I yeah, hadn't even thought about. Obviously, you do have like uh, Chicago in there, which is, oh my gosh, are they actively trying to be bad? I it cannot believe what they did in the draft this year. Oh, not, if this was a Blackhawks pod, we would spend a lot of time questioning uh, Kyle Davidson's yeah. uh, moves here. But I think you're right in terms of, yeah, they start out with the Kings. So I think the Kings are going to be very hungry to prove that they're for real in that opener, especially at home. Yeah, uh, Calgary should be good again. You mentioned that, even though they're still figuring out what's going to happen with them. They never really play well in Calgary either so yeah outside of that last time when Logan Thompson was really strong but yeah. um, no you're, you're definitely right there and yeah Winnipeg they've had a lot of trouble with Winnipeg despite the fact that Winnipeg has been very mediocre especially over the last couple seasons and they've got Colorado uh, and Toronto in that opening seven game stretch too so yeah it definitely is going to be an interesting start to the Bruce Cassidy era he's not exactly going to be able to ease into it um, which maybe is a good thing uh, because the Knights have kind of talked about they did not think they had a very good training camp uh, last year, I think, because they kind of took things for granted a little bit after mm-hmm. making d- back-to-back really deep uh, playoff runs. And obviously with the injuries they had, it probably didn't matter yeah. uh, ultimately in the end anyway. But still, that's just something where you know I think the Knights ha- are already going to come in with a different focus uh, 
this preseason after, of course, missing the playoffs last year. And I think when you have an opening stretch like that, which you pointed out, I think that kind of helps you focus a little bit more as well of like, all right, we can't ease into this thing. We got to go from it right from the jump. And if we don't have our game kind of dialed in, we're all of a sudden going to be looking up at the standings uh, earlier than we would like. Yeah. Yeah, they, they can't really have any of those kind of training camp moments where guys just aren't going 100%. Guys are just kind of coasting around and everything. And that kind of was what the training camps looked like last year. And so if they do that again this year, they're going to find themselves in trouble because of the you know new coaching staff, really tough schedule in the beginning of the month too. Yeah, and you expect obviously with a new coaching staff, uh, things will tighten up a little bit and guys will be, of course, looking to either earn a spot or hold on to their spot, you know, earn uh, playing time however they can. So... It'll be interesting to see, but I certainly would expect that they're probably going to be a more a driven group heading into a training camp after how last year went. Uh, so with the schedule out and the draft done, and once again, you can read stories about both those things at ReviewJournal.com if you need more information about uh, either of those things. The next big date on the calendar is Wednesday, the opening of NHL free agency. Uh, as a reminder, the Knights have two unrestricted free agents in right wing Riley Smith and left wing Matthias Yanmark. Uh, though Daily Faceoff has reported that Smith uh, has a verbal agreement uh, to come back. We'll see when or if that becomes official because it would technically be an extension. Um, it's He's eligible to sign it at any time. They don't need to wait for a free agency technically for Smith to sign it. I think what they're actually waiting for uh, is some of their RFAs uh, to sign, which uh, for those of you that Need a reminder, their restricted free agents this offseason are centers Nicholas Waugh and Brett Howden, uh, defenseman Nick Haig, and right wing Keegan Colasar. All of those guys uh, need new deals, but they're not necessarily hitting the open market. Uh, they are just RFAs. Uh, to fit all those guys in, they have uh, $5.2 million basically in workable uh, cap space because they are uh, going to operate in LTIR next year. They've got that Shea Weber contract that will not necessarily inhibit them from uh, spending you know, I don't want to get too in the weeds with how it affects things. So basically, like I said, they have about $5.2 million that you, they can spend basically to bring all these guys back. Um, but even with, you know, $5.2 million uh, on its own, uh, if you're talking about bringing Riley Smith back, I think that's basically all of it right there. Yep. And then, you know, you've got to bring back those RFAs as well. So that means probably someone uh, on an NHL deal is either moving out or one of the guys who have had a, a surgery this offseason, like Mark Stone, uh, Robin Leonard, Laurent Brassois or uh, even Colasar himself are starting on LTIR like we saw with Alex Tuck before last season. Uh, Colasar, I don't think you know, starting on LTIR would really do anything for the Knights. Brassois doesn't do much for them. Um, but Stone or Leonard, you know, if they need to slow play either of those guys coming back, that could be an option to prevent them from shipping someone out. Um, so as we head into this upcoming week with that kind of picture in place, uh, what are kind of your expectations? What are you thinking, you know, the night's strategy is going to be here uh, over the next uh, Saturday now? So like four or five days. Well, I want to start with the whole LTIR thing because I, I didn't think about this until I just heard you say that. And I really hope that that is kind of a last ditch effort to try to get back under the cap because we've seen what this team looks like without Mark Stone in the lineup. And unless he physically can't play or they just don't want to rush him back from this injury that he has because that's probably not the smartest thing to do with what he has. Um, it's just it's just going to be way more detrimental to the team than it would be helpful. Same thing kind of goes with Robin Leonard. I know he struggled a lot last season, but you got to figure that he's going to want to come back into the season and prove that 
he's still the same guy that they got from Chicago when he was a very, very good goaltender. Um, but as for kind of what I think they're going to do during the season, I'm sorry, Golden Knights fans don't expect a ton of big splash signings this offseason. They just can't afford to do it. Not only like do they not have the money to do it, they, they really cannot afford to send out more contracts than they have to. Just because there's already a chemistry problem on this team. I'm sorry, there is. If you watch them play on the ice, they don't play well together. And they cannot afford to keep gutting players off the roster that people like in the, in the sake of chasing the cup and ch- and chasing the next biggest free agent. It just it can't happen. So in the end of the day, they are going to have to sell at some point, though. They are going to have to move out some contracts, whether that's before the season, whether that's before the trade deadline, whether that's before somebody comes off LTIR as anybody's guess. If I had to pick two players that I think it's going to be, it's either going to be, at least in my mind, Alec Martinez or William Carlson, just because they're, there's $5 million at least right there. That would give you the money to re-sign both Nick Waugh and Nick Haig and probably one of, if not both, of Brett Howden and Keegan Colasar. But again, I mean, it's it's just going to, they could, I just said all this and they could completely go the opposite direction and go chase after the next big free agent and gut the roster again because Kelly McCrimmon doesn't care what I think. Kelly McCrimmon doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what anybody thinks other than George McPhee and Bill Foley. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today. Yeah, so we'll have to see. I agree with you. I don't think they're going to go chase some marquee free agent. I think they're going to have enough uh, trouble kind of keeping what they have right now. So we'll see how that all uh, works out. Uh, I'm with you where I think the two guys that you're looking at Era, especially like Alec Martinez really uh, interests me and it's not good for him about what they're going to do there, um, especially because at this point, you know, right now they're set to pay uh, five different defensemen uh, more than uh, $2.75 million next season in Martinez, Petrangelo, Theodore McNabb uh, and Zach Whitecloud. You know, it's a little pricey if you're keeping Zach Whitecloud kind of on that third pair. He's obviously worth that contract, but uh you know, you would like to think that you can have someone that makes a little bit less somewhere in there. And I think they made it work at times without Martinez mm-hmm. last season. You could move big dab up to the first pair with Alex Petrangelo. You could move Shea Theodore to his left side, his natural side, and then have Zach Whitecloud be the second pair right side defenseman with Theodore. They did that a lot last season with Martinez out. I think that's an option potentially that you could do the next season. Um, so I'd be curious if they would try that to try to move that money out. Um, you know, in terms of the LTIR guys quick that you mentioned, I mean, Stone will see. The Knights did say when he had his back surgery uh, that he was expected to be back for the regular season. I would think, you know, based on what I've talked to doctors about, about the surgery, he should be kind of ready to uh, be, you know, full speed ahead middle of August, which gives him about a month, mm-hmm. month plus, about a month and a week before training camp starts to kind of ramp up and get ready. So I would think he'd be ready. We don't have an update on Robin Leonard yet or really Laurent Brassois. I asked Kelly McCrimmon about that at uh, Bruce Cassidy's introductory press conference. and It didn't really get an answer. So we'll see if we get one uh, this week. When McCrimmon talks about kind of free agency and kind of the night setup and all of that. That would be something I would keep my eye on what happens there. Um, and so, yeah, the obviously Carlson would be interesting. The other guy I think we have to throw out just because he's entering the last year of his deal. Max Pacioretty. Max Pacioretty. Um, so he's making $7 million this year against the cap. He is an unrestricted free agent next season. So they could, you know, 
move him out now while he's still under contract, save all that money against the cap, um, and get an asset for him rather than potentially lose him for nothing uh, heading into next season if they don't want to extend him. Uh, the only, obviously, issue with that would be you've already traded away Evgeny Dodonov, who was your third leading goal scorer uh, last year with 20. I believe Pacioretty, even though he only played about half a year, was still their fourth leading goal scorer uh, with, I believe, 19. I'm going to quick double check. I think he was on pace for 40 goals if he had played a full Basically, yeah. So Max Pacioretty had 19 goals. He was their fourth leading goal scorer. Uh, 19 goals in 39 games. Yeah. So, yeah, I just said basically pretty much like on a 40-goal pace. So that would be... The other guy that I think like logically would make sense to be like, okay, if we don't want think we can extend Pacioretty, we're not sure we want to extend him uh, past this year, which is his age 33 season. Mm-hmm. We can make that move now. But uh, this team, I think already a question mark we're going to have throughout the season is, is there enough goal scoring now that Dodonov is gone? And yeah. Pacioretty obviously exa- would exacerbate that to a crazy degree. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my whole thing too, is that I, they've shot, listen, they've shot Pacioretty in the past. There have been deals on the table for him that have fallen through or they just haven't gotten what they've wanted for him. So it wouldn't shock me if they try to shop him again. The only issue if they do get rid of him is that, listen, 30 goal scores in the NHL don't grow on trees. So and he's he would have had 30, probably 40 last season and the season before if it wasn't a COVID shortened season and he hadn't been injured to death uh, last year. But for the most part, that one would hurt because then you're putting all of the goal scoring kind of on. Jonathan Marcheseau and Jack Eichel as your last two guys that are really capable of scoring 25-plus goals a season. No, I totally agree with that. And yeah, I mean, since Mark Stone basically arrived with the Knights, um, Max Pacioretty's uh, per-game numbers, I haven't crunched them, but I'm sure they are, you know, ridiculous, insane, absolutely worth uh, the price tag uh, for what he's done on the ice for the Knights. The only uh, question mark with him, of course, the last couple of years has been health. Um, because he's been banged up, obviously, a lot of last year. He's been banged up in the last two postseasons that the Knights played in. So they want to keep him healthy. Um, and so we'll see, like I said, what decision they make, where they go there. Uh, the, the only other interesting kind of a subplot with Max Pacioretty is, a, you know, astute people will remember that his agent is Alan Walsh, who also represents one Marc-Andre Fleury. So that's at least a, one little nugget to file away when we're considering all of this as well. And then the other thing I want to talk about when it comes to what the Knights uh, might do this upcoming week, and I think we're both you know, pretty much in agreement that they need to probably move at least one roster player uh, if they're not going the LTIR route, which will be risky because in all likelihood, they're not going to have someone be an LTIR for a long time. So you're going to have to you know, make the move at one point or another. Uh, the other thing that I think will be interesting to monitor, um, even though I don't think it will happen, uh, and I definitely... You know, don't want to waste too much time talking about it because I don't think it will happen is the threat of an offer sheet looming over uh, this team with these restricted free agents. Once again, Nicholas Waugh, Keegan Colasar, uh, Brett Howden and Nick Haig. I think Nicholas Waugh and Nick Haig are the guys that you're too really kind of looking at here. Um, for those that are kind of unfamiliar with what an offer sheet is, it's basically when you're a restricted free agent, uh, for the most part, there are some guys who this doesn't apply to. Uh, Jonas Rombiak on the Knights is actually one of these guys who is actually offer sheet ineligible despite being an RFA. Um, another team can come along, basically offer you uh, a contract, sign you to that contract, and then your original team, if you're a restricted free agent, has like about, I think it's six days to match this contract that you've signed with another team. And if the you know other team, or if your current team decides to match this contract, great. You have that contract now with your current team. You're locked in. You're G to G. 
uh, if your current team looks at the contract you signed with this other team and says, eh, we don't actually like that so much. That's not so good for us. Uh, then, you know, you the uh, team you signed that contract with now gets you the original team that did not match that contract gets a draft pick. Uh, what kind of draft pick and the number of draft picks depends on how big of the contract uh, that was signed. And so because we're in a flat cap world and the cap's not going up very much and the Knights are pressed up against the cap, uh, they are theoretically vulnerable uh, to an offer sheet where, you know, a team with a lot of cap space could try to pay, like, for instance, a Hague or a Wa a little bit more than they're worth and kind of tighten the screws on the Knights to see if they would bend. Um, the reasons that, you know, I think it's still unlikely to happen is we've literally only seen 10 of these since the salary cap got put into place in 05, 06, and only two of them have ever worked. But the one of them that did work was last offseason where uh, the Carolina Hurricanes stole uh, Jesperi Kakanyemi from the Montreal Canadiens. So, you know, recent history says that it can happen. And obviously, like I said, with the flat cap, I think you can make an argument that maybe it should happen more often, especially with contending teams that are pressed up against the cap and have to make uh, difficult decisions. Uh, so where are you on this issue, this kind of thought processes? Is the threat of an offer sheet for you for one of these guys uh, something like real that the, you know, the Knights and Knights fans should uh, consider? Or do you think it's still kind of you know, shot in the dark that any team would kind of try this. See, Ben, I'm a little afraid to answer that question just because every time I make a take like this, the exact opposite happens. And so I've become a little superstitious over the years about doing that. But I'm going to answer it anyway, because that's what I'm, I'm here to do. No, I don't think it's likely that it's going to happen. Like you mentioned, it's a flat cap era. And I mean, to be qu- quite honest, if somebody wants to put, pay four million dollars for Nick Waugh. Go ahead. I, I, he's a good player, but four million is a lot especially for a team that's cap-strapped. So I'll take the second-round pick and move on. But again, I don't think it's likely to happen just because, like I said, flat cap, not a lot of teams are going to want to offer sheet somebody just to have to pay them more than what they're worth. Yeah, the key thing for you know why we don't see these a lot is, uh, one, like I said, they almost never work. Uh, like I said, eight out of the ten offer sheets that we've seen have been unsuccessful. Um, two, we don't see them a lot because... Uh, teams, you know, don't want to uh, do it and then set a precedent of like now their fair game for an offer sheet. Because one of the reasons why the Canadians lost Jesperi Kakinyemi is that they tried to take Sebastian Ajo from the Carolina Hurricanes a couple years ago. So they offer sheeted Sebastian Ajo. The Hurricanes matched it, kept Ajo. And then I think it was an offseason or two later, the Hurricanes are like, you tried to pull a fast one on us. We're going to pull a fast one on you and then offer you to do a Sperry Cockney And that one uh, was successful. So teams don't like to stick their neck out thinking like, if I do this, then I'm going to be the next one or I've got a target on my back uh, now. Um, like I said, I do think uh, Juan Hager, at least interesting talkers about, you know, could this work? Because as you said, so, you know, in terms of like compensation, if you sign an offer sheet between $2.1 million and $4.2 million a year, which is, I think, what both Hag and Wa would fall into, like I said, probably closer to that $4 million a year, which is a little bit more than they're worth, but also not a crazy amount. Um, so if you sign one of those and the team does not match, they get back a second round pick, which is, you know, not like it's an asset. We just saw the Knights, you know, take a second rounder that I think we both are decently like think has a chance to play in the NHL, but it's also not crazy expensive. Like Hag was once a second round pick. That's turned out really well. Wa was actually a fourth round pick. 
So it, you get a decent asset back, um, but I don't think a second rounder is completely replacing the value of a Wah or Hag, especially to the Knights who don't necessarily need a theoretical you know, second rounder that'll play in the NHL three, four years from now. They need these guys now, so they could be vulnerable. Um, but I think the main reason that people don't talk enough of why these offer sheets don't happen is that a team can't just unilaterally decide to offer sheet a player uh, the player has to accept said offer sheet. Uh, the you know the Carolina Hurricanes submitted a contract to Jesperi Kakanyemi that he had to sign and did. He said, "Yes, I am willing to turn the screws on my current employer to try to get paid more." Slash, you know, I'm willing to move teams in this case. And I don't know if uh, some of these guys have the I don't know if gumption's the right word, but like I don't, or the I think just the willingness to do it. Like, do I think in their heart of hearts that uh, Nick Waugh or Nick Hag probably want to end up on another team this offseason? Probably not. And uh, in Nick Waugh's case specifically, he's got arbitration rights. So he's going to get paid a decent amount of money right. no matter what. Like you like said, uh, $4 million is probably more than he's worth. It'd be more than he would make an arbitration this yeah. year. But I would guess, based on just like quick looking at some of his comparables, like the minimum, he's probably counting against the cap next year is like two and a half million dollars. I would maybe a little bit less than that, but yeah, I, would that's, I think that's fair. Two and a half is like my current guesstimate uh, based on kind of comparables. So he's not like he's going to get completely like robbed next year if he doesn't go down this path. Um, Hag's a little bit more interesting because he doesn't have arbitration rights. So the Knights are potentially going to be in a Shea Theodore situation with him where this kind of has the potential to linger because there's nothing, you know, forcing these two sides to get together yeah. and kind of hammer out uh, a contract. But, you know, that uh, I think is a lot of why, like I said, it's interesting to talk about, but I don't think it's terribly likely to happen. And especially because, like I said, I think that is specifically uh, the reason why the Knights don't have Riley Smith on the books yet is that, you know, by keeping him off the books right now, they're retaining the flexibility to match any offer sheet um, that these guys would potentially have. And by, you know, kind of having that flexibility to match any offer sheets, you theoretically disincentivize teams from even trying it because then the team will just be like, oh, they'll, like I said, they'll match anyway. We won't get the player and we'll just waste our time and we'll waste our cap space for six days because we have to, you know, keep that $4 million kind of cold waiting to see if we'll get this player in an offer sheet, which most likely will not happen. Um, so, We'll see. Like I said, it's unlikely. It's at least something to talk about. Um, it's an interesting talking point, I think, every offseason. But the amount of time we spend talking and writing about offer sheets, I think, just pales in comparison to the amount of actual action uh, we have, you know, with offer sheets. Um, and then one last that you touched on this briefly about, you know, maybe they'll go chase some shiny object out there. I'm actually curious as to how many shiny objects will be out there because it kind of seems like, you know, guys are... For the most part, staying put. Uh, Philip Forsberg, before we recorded this, signed an extension in Nashville. Uh, Crystal Tang staying with Pittsburgh. We'll see what happens with Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, there's a lot of Evgeny Malkin kind of bad blood, it seems like, festering. But we'll see whether those two sides can kind of figure it out and he stays in Pittsburgh. So it does seem like a lot of the kind of uh, higher-end free agents are kind of fine, you know, sticking with their current dance partners and might not even go to the market uh, in general. Um, but do you think there's any potential for the Knights to uh, surprise us this week with some uh, crazy move we don't see coming or, you know, is this going to be a pretty boring cap managing, you know, retaining guys kind of week? Well, see, that's a double sided question because I hope that there's nothing that happens and that it's just them, you know, moving out pieces that 
just they need to move out so they can clear cap space. But again, like I've said before, don't don't count this front office out when it comes to making crazy decisions. They could do something really crazy like trading Alec Martinez and William Carlson for Matthew Kachuk. And again, I'm just that is there's absolutely no basis to what I just said. That is just the first thing I could think of off the top of my head that would be utterly crazy. I do like me some Matthew Kachuk, though. He's a very good player. Um, but yeah, I'm. I would assume my, or Calgary tries to hold on to him, and obviously tries to hold on to Johnny Gaudreau. But we'll see whether they're able to make all those moves work. Uh, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge Podcast. Uh, thank you guys so much uh, for listening. Like I said, it was a busy week this past week, and it has the potential to be a very, very busy week this upcoming week. So we'll be with you guys again in about four or five days from now, breaking down all the moves and non-moves that the Knights have made once the free market officially opens in the league. Uh, As a reminder, we are sponsored by Station Casino's STN Sports. Uh, We are also presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. We are also presented by Blue Wire. Uh, and of course, if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, please do this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, I'm Ben Ghost. That is Matt Atencio. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. Talk to you guys again real soon. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today.